We're in Romans chapter 10. We're down to verse 5. Previously, we read and saw that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes in Christ and his sacrifice and his righteousness. So under the law, we'll see, and as we did see, they had to perform certain rituals, but that was not intended to make them righteous or forgive them. And that's where often the Jews went off tried to practice their own righteousness or whatever they did they thought was acceptable, but it wasn't because God was proven a point that the law, though it is just and holy, did not have the power to forgive and it did not have the power to give that to a person who wouldn't have to sin. He could overcome willful sins. But the law was perverted and so it was unacceptable to God. They misunderstood what it was for. It was not intended to be a permanent covenant. It pointed to sacrifice. So with all the laws and the rules, they had to have sacrifice because they couldn't keep all the laws and the rules. And we will find that they had to send nature and then they willfully sinned. So all it took was one sin to make them sinners. So something had to be done about this. And the law could not do that. It was the schoolmaster. It was the teach. Yet if they obeyed the law and the rules and the regulations and the sacrifices, then God covered them. He did not break forth in judgment. He winked at their ignorance. He didn't expect perfection. But he did expect in every covenant to abide by certain rules. And if they went beyond that, then it did not cover them. Under the law, you committed certain sins. There was no forgiveness. You were stoned to death. Even if you ran to the altar for mercy, there was no mercy shown for a murderer, for an idolater. There was no mercy. If you openly performed these things, that was it. And so there were rules that if you kept and you repented and you did sacrifices, then that was the lower covenant. But it was not intended to be a permanent way. It was to point to Christ, the sacrifice, who was going to take care of all these things. So the law of Moses said the person living under the law, they must practice the righteousness according to what they heard. And as again, they were to do their best at what they were told, and they were not to willfully do certain things, but God understood they were not perfect, and they had to sin a nature, and they would willfully sin at times, and there were consequences. But God, being holy and pure, uh, he cannot tolerate just because they sinned and born, they're automatically sinners, so they could not redeem themselves. They were not in a position to offer anything. So that's why we'll see the plan of salvation came from God. It didn't come from man. Man had nothing to do with the plan. He had everything to do with accepting or rejecting the plan. So he wanted them to understand this. So the one under the law was already lawless to some degree. The most holy people, the most righteous like Job, and they still did sacrifice because they realized at times uh, sin was present. They lived good lives, and God expected them to. It wasn't like today's ultra-Calvinistic liars. One sin makes them terrible sinners. Well, the Scripture proves that wrong. 
Cornelius was a Gentile, and the angel told him his righteous deeds had come up before God, and he was going to show him the clear way, the gospel. He didn't call him a dirty old sinner. He said he was righteous, and he said it's come up before God. So God accepted the people under the light that they had, but they were not perfect, and he did not expect perfection from them. He accepted Gentiles. They was called righteous Gentile. He said he winked at certain things. The Gentiles did not have the privileges of the law, and so God held them at a different standard. He held the Jews more responsible because they were given more, and that's justice and holiness. God can give grace or withhold grace according to what's going on. He's not whimsical. He doesn't point to people and say, oh, I won't. He overall looks at the person and their actions. And we'll see that when God hardened himself toward Pharaoh and King Saul, they had persistently resisted him. He didn't initially harden them. Now, he'll speak in prophecy and by his foreknowledge, but that doesn't mean that he planned that. It simply uses what he has. But God does not judge a person by what he foresees. He deals with humans in the eternal present. That's what he deals with. So he doesn't tell anybody. It's none of their business what he knows from the beginning and the end. He's dealing with us in the present. And this is what he holds us accountable for. And all the judgments will be according to man's works. You don't see one that talks about their judgment for their believing. Because like James said, if you don't have works, you don't have the you don't have faith. You don't have true and he's talking about spiritual works. He's not talking about human efforts. He's talking about fruitfulness and obedience and being graced by the Lord uh, to follow him. That's the works he's talking about. And Paul was in perfect agreement. He said, don't you know if you're under uh, grace, he says, you have to work righteousness. He said, if you obey righteousness, that's who your master is. And if you obey sin, death is your master. Sin, he didn't make no bones about it. He didn't say grace covered all. He didn't say grace excuses you. He didn't say grace gives you a license to sin. He said, if you're righteous under grace, you prove it by your obedience to righteousness. So it's called obeying the gospel, too, in Revelation. Those who did not obey the gospel were judged and damned. He didn't say the ones that never heard. He'll deal with them in a lesser light, like he did to Gentiles during the law and before the law. And some were accepted. So that's God's business. Okay, what man has been given and what light. God does not consign anybody to hell because they've not heard the gospel. They've sinned against their conscience. They've sinned against the knowledge that God has given them. They have an inner law before the gospel. And when Jesus came, he didn't damn everybody because he came. It would be better to be under the law because God was merciful and gracious to the Gentiles under the law when they didn't have the law. He accepted their conscience and their goodwill. He didn't accept their perfection. And he knew they were still sinners to some degree. But people have the idea, well, now that Jesus came, if you don't hear the gospel, you're going, to, well, it's worse than the law. We should have the law. We don't need grace. It would be a better system. So they're foolish in their beliefs and their, their ultra lies of predestination and election. They pervert those scriptures to their own damnation, 
and they make God to be a monster. If you read that technically where they teach, Satan was a better person. God is holy and just and loving and all. He's not whimsical. He doesn't have favorites. He's not like the human nature. He does everything well and perfectly, and he's gracious to everybody. No man that says comes to the Father lets the Spirit draw him. Well, that's referring to the gospel. But he gave grace to everybody to some degree. Every human is not going to be without it. He can't go say, well, I didn't hear. He's going to be judged by his conscience, his light, the inner law, and what God has revealed. So no one's going to be without excuse. No one's going to be in hell wondering how they got there. They're going to know why they got there, by their actions and their lives and so forth. So we need to remember that. And when I hear these teachers, I say they're damned to hell. They're worse than a devil. To make God out to be a monster is what they do. Okay? Yeah, I heard people tell me, well, you're the predestined drain. Yeah, my brother, I tried to give him the gospel, but some ultra-Calvinistic liar got to him first and told him, well, we're all predestined, so you either predestined or not. So my brother decides, well, I have a 50-50 chance of being, being predestined, so I'm going to live like I want to. See, what did it encourage? Because he was told, you can do everything you want, but if God has not chosen you, you're going to hell. It's a doctrine of devils. The devils must laugh at these people who proclaim to know God and teach such garbage. Okay? That's why you'll read Scripture. Read the New Testament. You don't find many false teachers that get saved if you can find one. I think they borderline on blaspheme the Spirit, and there comes a time when the Lord doesn't deal with certain people. They're like Pharaoh and King Saul. He has enough of it, and he can be gracious. And he can harden those who don't respond properly. But he's patient and long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. He says it's not his will that any perish. Yet the majority of adult mankind is going to be cast into the lake of fire. It's not God's will, his perfect will. But it's his will according to his holiness and justice. That side of him will come out. He's the great economist, and he doesn't waste anything. So the hell is for the wicked. That's what he made it for. He originally made it for the devil and his angels. And ultimately, wicked man will go to the same place. So Moses gave them sacrifice to cover sins. And so they would have faith that that was going to come. See, that's why Paul said, and Hebrews writer said, they had the gospel to some degree under Moses, but they didn't mix it with faith. And therefore, it did not work. What was the faith? They were to look at the animal sacrifices and say, one day, the Messiah comes, the Savior's going to come, and he's going to deliver us from what we cannot deliver ourselves. And if they had faith in that like Abraham did, then they were saved under that covenant. Okay? So this law, what we see was, uh, the sacrifice also uh, gave the symbol to reveal that God's wrath was held against them. People tend to think today, well, now the gospel is being preached. God's not angry at anybody. He has not changed. We'll see later. He's angry with the sinner every day. He says the wrath of God abides on them. But he can execute love and goodwill at the same time. 
we humans, we can only deal with one or two emotions or thoughts. He's uh, complete. He doesn't sacrifice one part of his attributes for another. He knows how judgment and mercy is kissed, it said. He can demand justice, but he can show mercy under certain conditions. He can be gracious to anybody, but then they have to answer for that, and they will be judged for the grace they did not respond to. So that's the overall justice of God. He has no whimsical thoughts. He doesn't have favorites. He doesn't uh, look at certain people. Now, when people start responding to God, he can honor those who honor him and dishonor those who dishonor him. But initially, he's the same with everyone. It's how they act and react that determines how he's going to respond to them eventually. He that is often reproved, the Bible says often, is said he will be cut off. He stiffs his neck. He gets pride and rebellious. He said he stiffens his neck against, and he said he will be cut off without remedy. But it means he was often reproved. God was patient, long-suffering. He did that with Pharaoh. He did that with Saul. His foreknowledge is something different. People look at the rare foreknowledge as if it's planned by God. It doesn't say that in Scripture. What God sees and doesn't see is none of our business. But if he says it's not his will that any perish, he means it. He's not lying. People say, well, that only means the elect. And I say, well, you're a child of the devil, so what would you know? Hey, I've provoked some people because they think they're Christians. It's like Jesus said, our time come, they'll kill you. Religious people thinking they're doing God a favor. Well, they're going to find out at the end who's right and who's wrong. Okay? So it was to hold back their sins. Everyone under the law failed sometimes and didn't do what God required. None was 100% blameless. All have sinned and come short of what was God's expectation. What was God's expectation? That man not sin. That he stay in Adam's state and not give in to the devil. And his nature would not have been twisted and corrupted. And he still was responsible because even with certain desires, he didn't have to do them. As we talked before, remember Cain, his offering was not accepted and he got angry and God said, why are you angry? If you do well, you will be accepted. And if not, the creature or the demon, the term was used, the crouching animal, lies at your door. And he said, but you'd overcome it. You're to resist it. So God told Cain, you can resist the devil. You You didn't have to murder your brother. You didn't have to yield to the spirit of murder who instigated you and tempted you. So God doesn't tell people do this and they can't do it. That's foolishness. Make God to be a psycho. He uses common sense with people. He's using, even Abraham, when he talked about destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham says, you can't destroy the righteous with the wicked. Well, he knew enough about God's nature and he was right. And God allowed him to, debate with him and, and reason with him. So he knew enough about God to know he was righteous in all of his dealings. Okay, So Moses gave them the, the sacrifices, and when they sprinkled it on the mercy seat, symbolically is when God looked down, it covered the laws that said, put them to death. They're wicked. They're sinners. Judge them. And the blood on the mercy seat said, hold off. You don't have to do it right now. And if they abide by these rules, I won't express my wrath. 
See, because holiness doesn't change. God doesn't change his nature for anybody. He's loving, good-willing, gracious, the scripture said, but by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the sins on them. So he's just and holy and merciful. He can do all of these at one time. So when I hear these preachers saying, God's not angry no more with the sinner, they're liars. If they're not in Christ, his wrath abides on them, his displeasure, and ultimately he's going to judge it in this life or the next. So he's angry, the scripture says, with the sinner all day long. His wrath abides. His presence sees, beholds man. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, beholding the good and the evil. And when he sees the evil, it dis, it's displeasurable to him. It can provoke him. But at the same time, he can have goodwill toward the wicked and wants them to repent and turn so he can exercise these. And we'll get back to those scriptures later. So the law was a schoolmaster. It was to point to something else. Ultimately, all the rules and regulations pointed to the sacrifices, which man, the blood of the animals, was representing Christ to come, that he would die for them. He would do something they couldn't do for themselves because they were sinners, because they had some sin in them. Okay, No one was righteous totally other than Christ because of the fallen nature and the willful deeds later, okay? So what we'll see is the law was a schoolmaster and it pointed to the sacrifice. It was not to be permanent and it had no power over sin. It was just and holy, but none could live such a way since the fall, okay? There were degrees, but it gave no power over sin. Until Christ came, his spirit did not dwell in them and give them the power to be practical overcomers. It covered. It did not cleanse. Hebrews says he cleanses our conscience, the blood of Christ. Under the old, it covered. They still had consciousness that certain sins were not forgiven, but were just covered year after year. But that was the system he was teaching them until he brought the what they call the Reformation, the New Covenant into being. He had his reasons for working this out and the process that he did. So we see since the fall of Adam and Eve, there's not one perfectly 100% just person. They have the tendency bent or magnetically drawn to sin. It's in their members. And they cannot live their whole life and never have an evil thought, never do anything. It's not there. Oh, no one's ever done it, have they? They're born, and they're willful sinners. So there's the combination here. God doesn't bring on judgment simply because someone is born with that nature and disposition. He made provisions for that. He dealt with them at a lower level. He winked at them. What he judged was willful sin. When they come out and express those sins, that's when he brought judgment on them. He didn't bring it on them for thinking or meditating. Now, in the New Covenant, the Christians dealt with more seriously. We're judged according to what we meditate on because we can resist it, the devil. We can put away the thoughts of impurity. We have a, a conscious will in that, and the Spirit of Christ strengthens us to do it. They did not have that. And so, therefore, they were dealt with 
at a different level. And that's why Christ said, the least in the kingdom of Christ was greater than John the Baptist, the greatest of prophets and the greatest ministry before Christ. He superseded Moses and others for his ministry and his prophetic office. But he said the least Christian that has Christ in him has a better privilege and a higher standing than he has. Because he didn't have Christ living in him to the degree the Christian does. So that's why I said is greater. Whoever's least in the kingdom is greater in the measurement of God, but they are held accountable for the state they were in. That's why many of them will get a greater reward than many Christians. Many Christians may barely make it. Some of these people lived remarkable lives. Job and Melchizedek, for what they were under and what they didn't have, they were remarkable people, and God honored that. He looks, he judges everything according to motive, intent, the privileges or disadvantages that people have. He considers all these things in his judgments. So the law was just and holy, but it could not give power to overcome sin. It could simply tell the truth. It could enlighten your conscience and convict you, or it could tell you, okay, in this area. That's what the inner conscience could do, and that's what the law did. It was the expression of the inner conscience. So God winked at, and he didn't demand immediate judgment. He would be long-suffering. He would hold back his wrath and holiness to a degree that he wouldn't in some cases. Jesus said, if I preach to Sodom and Gomorrah when I preach to you towns and cities, he said they would have repented. But he told them, you'll be cast into hell and your punishment will be greater than Sodom and Gomorrah because they didn't have the grace and the extra light. But isn't it astounding? Jesus said they would have repented. He didn't question whether they, but under those systems and under those dispensations, he didn't grant that and that was his right. And they had enough to respond to. And if they didn't respond like Jesus said, to the law and the prophets, they wouldn't respond to one though he's raised from the dead. They proved that to be true too, didn't they? Okay. So the law could not make, or there was no means that a person could live 100% in perfection because he was already in the state of a fallen nature and it had to be dealt with. So he could not offer himself as a sacrifice. It was unacceptable to God. And God's holiness, he demanded purity and complete holiness. And that's what he was teaching man, that God had to find a way for him because man couldn't dig himself up out of the grave. Okay, So the blood would hold back God's wrath and his holiness against sin. That's what he was teaching. People think in the Bible, the main thing is God teaches is the love of God. It's not true. You take the overall Bible, old and new, he teaches one thing before anything else, that he's a holy God and he's gracious, and he's good, and love comes about forth. See, because he didn't change his nature for man. He didn't change it for the angels that were cast out of heaven, that sinned against him. So his holiness will always stand. It is not debatable. Uh But he found other means to work with them without dishonoring his own holiness. That's why he had to make the plan of salvation, and he had to do it. 
So the law had no power to change the spirit and soul of man. It could inform him whether he was right or wrong. It could only tell him that. The blood sacrifices pointed to a cure and a hope to remove sin and give power over it. So they were looking forward to the Savior where we look back what he did. They look forward if they understood the law properly. And Abraham did. Abraham, Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. So he expected, and he did see it. He was given a glimpse of the Savior that was going to deliver mankind. Okay, Verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith speaks as follow. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Christ bought and brought a righteousness based on faith. Faith in Christ's righteousness and his blood sacrifice. So any justification, just as if we had not said, by human works, by purity of man, or the goodness and the human nature is unacceptable because there's sin present. He can't offer anything for his past sins. He can reform. He can repent. But still something had to be done with the sin, and he couldn't do anything about that, okay? He had to do his part. We'll see that in the New Testament. You hear a lot of confessing Jesus. You don't hear much of repenting because they're not saved. Repenting is you change your direction, your attitude. You stop your sinning, and you turn to the Lord. That's what's required. Nowadays, you just confess Jesus and you're saved. Scripture doesn't teach that. The first words that Jesus preached was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So he didn't cease that. Paul preached repentance. People say, well, he never, yes, he did. He may not come right out and said the word, but when Jesus appeared to him, he said, you'll repreach remission of repentance to all nations. Isn't that something? He told, so if Paul didn't do it, then he was a false apostle and is a backslider. But he did preach the gospel to more people than probably anybody else at that time, okay? So what is he saying here? That God was in Christ, faith in him, and his work of righteousness, that's what leads a man to salvation. Faith has an object, Jesus. And the reason is his passion and his death. That's what we have faith in, that he, the perfect one, the righteous one, died for us, for the sinner. He took our place. He represented sinful man, and God judged him in the place of sinful man, kind. So, see, he was righteous. There was nothing ever unrighteous. He not only was born without original sin, he never sinned willfully, yet he was tempted to. He was a man. He had to live a whole life and not sin. He had to stay in the God's... That's a unique thing. People say, well, he wouldn't sin because he was... I just you're foolish, you're ignorant. I've had to tell Christians that. Well, he couldn't sin because he was God. Then God's a hypocrite. And God made him be tested when he knew nothing could happen. Scripture says he was tempted in all points. And if he was tempted, he could sin, but he didn't. And scripture foresees. And he tells us because... He chose not to, but he had the temptation. Or it would all be a mockery. 
So I tell people, don't you excuse yourself and say, well, he was God. That ain't how he overcame. He overcame as a man and perfectly yielding to the Holy Spirit. He never acted, except for on one or two occasions by permission, he never used his divinity. He had to yield to the Holy Spirit. He did his miracles and healings by the Holy Spirit as a man, as a prophet, as a teacher, as a sinless one. See, And that's why his sacrifice was well accepted. He had to live the life okay, that he could offer himself without spot or wrinkle. Okay, So he says what? By the works of the law, he said, no one can bring Christ down from heaven. No one can form their own means of salvation or has anything to do with this. This plan of salvation, it can't be brought down from heaven. It's already here. It's already been given. It's grace and mercy of God, not man's works and decisions on the plan. God's goodwill and love for every sinner. Uh But at the same time, don't forget holiness and justice, mercy and kindness. They're not separated with God. People try to think like we think. We're angry at someone, and it's hard to be loving at the same time. If you're disciplined and you're being sharp, And Christians can do that. But they do it for the right motive. And as Paul said, and don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't carry it. But you can be angry. He said, but sin not, because it's so close to that nature. Get angry. The judgments and the punishments of man do not produce the righteousness of God. He responds differently. Verse 7 Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Who will go down to the other parts of the world and to the dead and raise Christ again? He said, no one can do this. That's not within man's capability. The gospel has been given. The plan has been exercised. The Jew and the Gentile doesn't have to go anywhere else looking for this plan. It's here, is what he's telling us. So man has no place. We say this over and over again. He has no place or will in God's plan for man's salvation. He is a sinner. By nature, he's magnetically drawn, and he willfully sins against God as he grows up. He will not go his whole life without willfully disobeying some law or restriction that God has given. And God accepts that, and he dealt with them at a different level. That's why he gave them rules and regulations. That's why he gave them sacrifice when they sinned and when they failed. And all the Jews had to give sacrifice at various times. And once a year, the priest had to give a sacrifice for the whole nation, for every individual. They were covered when he did the showing. Uh, he didn't sing a one out and say, oh, you've never sinned. This don't apply to you. You don't ever find that, okay? No matter how good they were. Why? The sacrifices of the wicked are detestable to the Lord. So how can a person redeem himself if he's got sin in him? How can he stand before a holy God and says, well, I've done better than others, and God will say, that's true. But all it takes is one sin that made you a sinner, and you can't redeem yourself. So it's an open Shut case. See, people 
And so you have so many people thinking, well, I'll do good and I'll do bad and I hope my good overweighs my bad. Well, James says, if you break one point of the law, you're guilty of the law, breaking all of it. See, it's the point that you're a lawbreaker. You're lawless. So that was the same with the rich young ruler. He did all these good things and Christ commended him. He said, but you lack something. What did he lack? He was covetous. He liked his money and power, and he couldn't give it up. And that was enough to send him to hell, the sin of covetousness. But he honored his mother and father. He helped people. He was good. He was morally upright. But that's like someone saying, and I've had people that had to counsel them. They tell me all their good deeds. I said, well, they're wonderful what you do, but you're living in adultery, so you're on your way to hell. You're a sinner. Oh, they don't like to hear that, but I do good. One of the serial killers, I won't mention his name, killed many people. And he, at his trial, he said, but I did some good too. I used to be a clown for children. I thought, see, his concept of justice and holiness is going to carry no water with God. So it's the point that they are a sinner and that needs to be dealt with, okay? Oh, there are degrees of sin. And the hypocrite and the false teacher receive the greater damnation. So evidently, God has a greater punishment for the more wicked sinners. I'm sure the serial killers and people like Hitler and Mao and uh, Stalin, they're going to go to a hell down there as deep as some of the angels, fallen angels. So evidently, God says every idle word. So there are degrees. But I'll tell you one thing, you don't want to go to the the best place in hell because it's going to be horrible, okay? So we see then the plan of salvation is all God's work. We've gone there before. We'll go there again. The Gospel of John. People run with it and they go too far with these scriptures. They don't rightly handle the word of truth. People say because it's God's plan, it's all grace. Once saved, always saved. You don't have to do nothing. That ain't what the scripture's saying. That's what the heretics say it. Okay. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. But as many as received him, Christ, to them he gave the right to become the children of God even those who believe on his name, the Lord Jesus Christ, okay, who were born not of blood. See, it's just talking about a spiritual birth now. Nor of the will of the flesh, not by breeding someone, nor of the will of man, but of God. Man's will had nothing to do with God's plan for man's redemption, okay? Yet, remember the word yet, hold it, Always remember this part when you read these scriptures. Yet no man is saved or can be without man's will involved in repenting and confessing. So God makes the plan, but man can receive it or reject it. That's his right, okay? God's plan in Christ, that's what it was. God can help and God can inspire But God does no repenting or believing for man. That's his part. That's what he's held accountable for. That's what he's capable of. As Cain was capable of not yielding to the spirit of murder, the devil. And God told him he could. You're to resist it. Well, he didn't. 
So he fell, okay? Each must repent for his own sins and believe in Christ and his grace and faith offered. That's man's. And we'll see that most people, and it's getting darker and darker, but over the centuries, most people that have the gospel preached to them reject the gospel. Yeah. It's not God's will that they do it, but they do it. He doesn't interfere. He influences. He doesn't force or overwhelm. There is no irresistible grace in this, like some people think. No, God has no parrots, and he has no robots. Uh -huh. And that's why I allowed the one-third of the angels to be cast out of heaven, because they chose to rebel and sin, and he gave them the free will to do it. And he tested them, and that was his right. Okay. And they could have passed the test because two-thirds of them did not fall, okay? But what does this gospel say? What is the message in verse 8? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. So that's what Paul's saying. The way is not looking above or below for something. Man's not to have to do this. And God's made it available. It is near you. Why is it near you? Because the Spirit of God is everywhere. Now, Christ is in the believer in a special relationship, but he's in the universe. He says, I fill the earth. I fill the heavens. There's no place he's not. People say he's in his creation. No, the creation's in him. All laws, spiritual, natural, are sustained by him. There's nothing past his knowledge. So we can't conceive. Now we know, as we look into space, there are billions of galaxies and trillions upon trillions of stars. In one scripture, it says that God made the stars and it says he knows them by name. Well, that's sort of something that when you think about that. Let's take a break now.